0: Uh, the reading this morning is Matthew 11, 1 through 24, um, Evidence and Consequence. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he, well t- he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, What did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet... Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prom- prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and he did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proven right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which, he, in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted... Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sidon, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable, sorry, for Sodom, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Father God, we thank you that we are able to see
1: and hear the record of the Lord Jesus Christ's life and his teaching. And we pray that by your spirit, uh, we would take it in, that we would understand it, and that we would live it out. So please empower me to speak it clearly, and empower uh, the the, um, people here today to hear it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, expectations are important, I think. Have you ever gone to... A dinner party expecting a, a casual affair, and you turn up, and everybody else is in a, a dinner jacket and a bow tie, a, in high heels and an evening gown. Uh, maybe you haven't. Uh, I've had that experience. It, it was one of the things I hated most about living in Oxford. So you go to um, what you think is a student canteen, and you turn up, and everybody's in these dinner jackets and bow ties. Fortunately, I had my clerical shirt on at the time, so. I think uh, that got me through, but it, it was embarrassing because I had the wrong expectations. And um, maybe, you've, maybe you've met somebody through a dating app. You, you've turned up and uh, found sexually they don't look anything like their photograph. And you have to decide then, am I going to give them a chance anyway? Rarely do they look better than the photograph, right? Uh, or am I going to go and... Um, maybe they haven't noticed me yet. Well, expectations are important, and beyond the mere trivial embarrassments, uh, we find in this morning's reading there can be real spiritual danger in having the wrong expectations. Having wrong expectations of faith can leave us confused and frustrated by the trials of life. Having the wrong expectations of God can prevent us from seeing what he's doing in the world. And unless we allow scripture to to challenge our expectations and to change them in regards to the Lord Jesus, well, we might find ourselves condemned along with uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And here in in this long reading this morning, we're given uh, two case studies of different ways that our expectations about Jesus can shape the way we approach him. First, we see the doubt of John the Baptist uh, as he responds to the evidence of Jesus. And then we see the the disbelief of the crowds and the cities that reject the evidence about Jesus. So first, the doubts that respond to the evidence. The the last time we met John the Baptist in Matthew's Gospel, uh, it was back in chapter 3. And there we read that John... He was a bit of a wild man. He was preaching in the desert. He was dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. And that made him a little bit out of the ordinary, I guess you could say. Um, But but it drew attention to his message, which was simple and fiery. It it was summed up in chapter 3 as, um, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn around, change direction. God is coming close. And his wrath against all sin is coming close. He spoke of someone coming uh, to bring an axe to the root of the trees that weren't bearing good fruit. to Chop them up and to burn them up. And he spoke uh, of uh, one coming who would have a winnowing fork in his hand. He would separate the wheat from the chaff and the chaff would be burned. And so his message was clear. Don't be the chaff. Don't be the tree bearing bad fruit because judgment is coming. It was a fire and brimstone sort of message. And uh, he believed when Jesus arrived that uh, this one who was coming to be baptized by him was the one to bring the judgment. He points to him and says, uh, Behold the Lamb. That was... John's expectation of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. Uh, All of which gives us some context for uh, his reappearance here in chapter 11. And no longer is he preaching in the desert, but he's been imprisoned under King Herod for calling out his sex scandal with his brother's wife. And um, I guess we could see that political rulers have never been fond of moral absolutes, have they? Herod locks him up. And as he sat in his prison cell, he began to wonder, what is Jesus up to? You know, if he is the one to come, as I thought that he was, why am I wasting away in here, in prison, while Herod's out there with his brother's wife, just feasting and having a grand old time? Shouldn't Jesus be striking down the wicked? Shouldn't he be rescuing the righteous? And so he sends out his disciples to investigate. In verse 2, we read this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he heard something of what Jesus was doing. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? In the darkness of his suffering, John began to doubt. And isn't That, what we're all prone to do in the darkness of our suffering, to doubt. When life gets unexpectedly dark, when we lose our job, when there's a sudden illness, when our children are struggling, we can begin to wonder Jesus, what are you doing? Are you seeing any of this? Don't you care? I'm suffering. We might even begin to doubt a a faith that felt so certain and so secure before. And I think that's what's going on with John. But notice how Jesus responds to John's doubts. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus doesn't say, how dare you doubt me? Jesus doesn't say, shut up and pull yourself together, man. No, Jesus, he doesn't respond to honest doubts like that. Instead, he says, I know I'm not doing what you expected me to do, John. But look at what I am doing. When we worked through um, chapters 8 to 10 at church earlier this year, it seems ages ago, but at the beginning of the year, we saw Jesus doing all these deeds he mentions in this uh, reading. He was cleansing lepers. He was giving sight to the blind. He was preaching good news to the poor. He was raising the dead. He was doing all these sorts of deeds, and they were powerful signs that Isaiah the prophet some 600 plus years before had had said to expect when the Messiah turns up. They were what any Israelite familiar with his scripture would have been looking for as uh, they awaited the Messiah if they were attending to what scripture said. In effect, Jesus is saying therefore, remember what I promised to do John? That's what I'm doing. What I promise to do is what I'm doing. And and if your faith is faltering this morning, I don't know where all of you are at this morning, but if if it's faltering, I want to encourage you to do the same that John the Baptist did. Maybe you're struggling to understand why God won't just give you what you want. A happy family a pain-free body, stable finances. As good as those things may be, as as much as you may want them, as right as it might be to pray for them, they are not what God has promised to you or or to me or to any of us. You might need to reset your expectations. It, It would be silly to think that our expectations should set Jesus' agenda, wouldn't it? I mean, he sets his own agenda. Jesus is God. So how, how can I expect my expectations to determine what he should do? Jesus will do exactly what he has promised to do, and we need to adjust to that. Perhaps an example might illustrate what I mean. Maybe you've been praying for a friend for a long time to come to faith. Maybe um, you just don't see any progress in their life. And you know that Jesus, he has promised to build his church and to call people to himself, but you don't see any evidence of that happening in that person. Well, don't be discouraged. Don't doubt his promises. But come and see what He is doing. Come with your expectations and be challenged. See how he's adding new faces around our church. In ones and twos, not in vast numbers, but faithfully, steadily, Jesus is building his church right here. Or maybe just a bit further afield. See the the vast uh, fields of people coming to faith across Asia, even in in places where persecution is harsh. Jesus is building his church, even if he's not uh, perhaps acting in that person you're praying for. So don't let your personal disappointments blind you to what Jesus is actually doing. He's kindly doing it, as he's promised. And as a, a brief aside before we move on with this passage, this is one of the, the reasons why it's so important to be part of a local congregation like this. Because when things are going wrong in your life, when you're wondering, is Jesus there? Is he doing anything? You need to come together with people who are also um, interacting with Jesus, also seeing what he's doing. They can lift your eyes away from your own personal circumstance and point you to what he's doing in in their life or in the church or or maybe in the area. People who will help lift your eyes from the four walls of your prison cell like John the Baptist to see what God is doing in the world. A a podcast can't do that. An Instagram story can't do that. None of that is going to to help beamed from across the world in the same sort of way as the person sitting next to you this morning telling you, this is what God has been doing in my life. That's going to help you. God is at work. I've seen it in my life. And as we share those stories with each other, what an encouragement it will be. We must allow our disappointments and our doubts to to drive us back to Jesus, to reset our expectations. We must see what he's promised to do in the scriptures before we can clearly see what he's doing in the world. It's only as we allow that to happen, as we take our doubts to Jesus, he will drive us forward in faith. He won't condemn And he promises blessing to anyone who, in their disappointments, real disappointments, but blessings to anyone who doesn't turn from him in their disappointments. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So that's one way of reacting to Jesus. One way of uh, having wrong expectations set right by him. But then in verses 7 to to 24, we see um, disbelief that that rejects the evidence. As John's disciples, they head back with, with their readjusted expectations. Jesus turns to address the listening crowd. Because it isn't just John who's been confused. It's all of them as well. First, in verses 7 to 15, Jesus declares the greatness of John, even though he doubted. This is one of the reasons why I'm always so saddened by people when they say, you know, I had doubts and, and the church didn't like that and so they treated me badly and I've never gone back. Well, maybe sometimes that's an excuse, but I believe that sometimes really does happen in churches. And how contrary to what Jesus does with doubt, isn't it? He then praises John, though he doubted, calls him greater than a prophet. Uh, greater than anyone born of women up to that point. Think of all the people born of women up to that point. Uh, All of them, but uh, Abraham, uh, of Moses, of Old Testament kings and prophets. So never let anybody tell you that honest doubts deserve condemnation. As we've seen, when, when doubts drive us back to Jesus, they drive us forward in faith, but many in the listening crowds in the surrounding cities, they had something beyond honest doubts. They were showing culpable disbelief. Jesus points out that uh, they went to see John the Baptist because they knew he was a prophet. He wasn't a reed swaying in the wind. He wasn't just telling people whatever they wanted to hear, listening and responding to them. He wasn't a man in... Um, fine clothes and with fancy speeches, impressing everyone. He was a severe preacher, a bit of a wild man. He was proclaiming warnings of the coming wrath of God against sin. And his life authenticated his message. Everybody, we're told, in Judea and Jerusalem, went out to see him. But they didn't ultimately accept his message of repentance. They wanted to be baptized, they wanted to see the spectacle, but they didn't want to repent. Why had they doubted him? Why did they doubt Jesus too? I think the key to understanding is in verses 16 through to 19. So what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In contrast to John, their disbelief rejected, rather, uh, rejected the unexpected rather than investigating it. Do you see? Neither John uh, nor Jesus fit their expectations of what God should be doing in the world. They thought they had God completely figured out. John, he's got a demon. Jesus, he's uh, too much of a party-goer. And so when John and Jesus failed to do and, and to say the kinds of things that they expected to hear, well, they dismissed them. They showed fascination at them, but they didn't show faith in them. How arrogant are those who believe that God would not do what they would not do. How self-satisfied are people who believe that the Almighty would think and act and do exactly what they would expect him to. It's the kind of attitude that says, you know, I could never believe in a God who... I guess we could fill in the blank in all sorts of ways. I I would never believe in a God who would allow my mother to suffer like that. I would never believe in a God who would tell people who they should and shouldn't sleep with. That was Herod's objection, wasn't it? I, I would never believe in a God who only saves people who trust in Jesus, no. You know, all those things are worth investigating, they're, they're worth discussing, but we need to see that the all-powerful creator of the universe might come to different conclusions than us. And we shouldn't ask God to accommodate himself to our expectations. We should rather align with him. That is the essence of repentance. Admitting that we have been thinking and acting the wrong way and aligning ourselves instead with God's way and what God says. And that's what John and Jesus both wanted most deeply from the people that were listening to them. Not fascination, but faith. But disbelief, disbelief allows us to remain exactly where we are, just as we are. It keeps God at a distance, And it uh, doesn't allow him to challenge or or to change us or, or to shape us in any way. Disbelief remains unquestioned and unquestioning. I know what God would be up to. These guys aren't it. And it ultimately, therefore, makes us enemies of God, which is what we see in verses 20 to 24 as Jesus thoroughly condemns the three cities. Verse 20 Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. These cities, they had seen more of Jesus' miracles than anywhere else, and yet they refused to repent. When he performed miracles, their response wasn't to believe in him as the Messiah. It wasn't to turn from their sin and worship God. It wasn't even to listen more intently to what he was saying. It was to demand more miracles. That is why he denounces them and declares woes over them. And friends, we easily slip into that same tendency. That same attitude. We demand that Jesus prove himself over and over and over again to us. We hear stories about, uh, about Jesus' miraculous work in other people's lives, and we say, you know, that is great, but he's never done that for me, and I'm not going to believe until he does. Or even worse, sometimes we remember ways that God has miraculously provided for us in the past. And then we're facing something new and we say, well, if he doesn't do something here, I'm done with it. I'm walking away from the church and away from Christ. But how many times does God need to prove himself to us? Was the resurrection not enough? Or or was his action in the lives of people that we know and love and trust not enough? Was his provision for us not enough? Should we really expect Jesus to do what we want every time and demand it? No, that's disbelief. That's disbelief. Let's therefore recognize the difference between an honest doubt and a culpable disbelief. While both may begin with wrong expectations about God, they end up in very different places. Those who follow their doubts back to Jesus and allow the scriptures to reset their expectations, they will be praised. That's repentance. It's the essence of uh, of repentance, and that's the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But those who hold tightly to disbelief and and refuse to allow King Jesus to challenge... Well, they will stand condemned, along with Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. It would be better for Sodom on that day. So uh, as we stand here, uh, in in this time in our lives, all sorts of craziness going on in our city, in our our world, uh, as we face doubt and disappointment, which we certainly will in Christian life, Let's decide to take it back to Jesus Christ. When God isn't doing what we expect, that's an opportunity for us to repent of false expectations and to see what he is doing. Jesus wasn't doing what John wanted. He wasn't doing what the crowds wanted. He was doing something far, far better than what they wanted. He was making peace between God and humanity. He was defeating sin and death. He was showing the power of God by his resurrection. He was gathering a people for himself out of every tribe and nation and tongue and language. He was gathering us into his family. And if we bring our doubts to him today, we will see that he's doing unexpected but wonderful things. Wonderful things. So let's use our doubts to drive us back to him. Jesus Christ will not dance to your music. He will not cry on your cue. But he will do far better things if only you turn to him. Let's refocus on what he's done in history. Let's refocus on what he's doing today. Let's refocus on what he's promised to do at his return. So let's pray. Father, we confess that our expectations of you are often uh, just disbelief. I pray that you would confront us with those things um, and help us to bring them to you and to be challenged and changed and reshaped to see the glorious things that you are accomplishing through your Son. Please, would this be a church where those things are talked about, where people are excited by them, where people encourage each other along. But we need your Spirit's help for that, Lord. Please lift our eyes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.